Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sanko for the second, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we are always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport. And today, we have one of our favorite guests on the podcast, and we will introduce him in just a second. We gave him a heads up here. We usually like to bring our guests on right away, but we did have a couple new ratings and reviews. So from Apple Podcasts, Coach R-Dub says, best Piston podcast. Enjoy listening to Amari and Bryce each week. Very insightful and up-to-date analysis of the team. They stay positive, but aren't afraid to point out where improvements are needed. And then from John O. John O messaged me on Twitter, was like, hey, you guys are always talking about this. Where can I leave a rating and review? He listens on the free website in the embed. So he left it in the comment on there. John O says, this is a very informative podcast. Keep up the great work, guys. As always, Amari, I know you appreciate these just as much as I do. And actually, this uh, past, well, not this past week, the team was in Paris, but uh, the last full week they were in America. Uh, I actually had a couple people at the arena that week say, hey, what's up, Amari? Listen to the pod. And it's funny because I get way more people who shout me out in real life from the pod than I do from my uh, writing at the Free Press, uh, which is funny since I've been doing that a lot longer and says a lot about the state of journalism, which, you know, I'm not saying is, is a, a negative. It's just funny for me, you know, given that the beat writing thing is, is kind of my primary job, but we always appreciate it. Uh, we love the support we've gotten. Uh, I love the comments are always so so detailed to point out specific things, which we like. And keep it coming. Uh, review us on uh, Apple. Uh, that's where we get most of it, but also feel free to DM or send an email. I think my email is in my Twitter bio. I don't know if you have one, Bryce, or uh, Detroit Bad Boys, where and you know we see the, the feedback and, and we love interacting with you all one other thing we are doing a special live recording on sunday january 29th noon eastern first ever live recording of the pistons pulse it's our 50th episode so we want to do something special you can find that on the free youtube channel so mark your calendars next sunday or this sunday when you're listening to this sunday january 29th noon eastern live recording of the podcast it'll still drop on tuesday but you can hop on with us listen to the episode drop comments and ask questions as we're recording live and we'll answer and interact with you. But let's get to what this episode is all about because I think we have our favorite guest. I think this man has been on as a guest more than anybody else during my time hosting podcasts back to Motor City Hoops days. Keith Smith of Track of Celtics blog, of one of my daily listens, the Front Office Show podcast, one of the best podcasts there is. This is our go-to for NBA salary cap, off-season, trade deadline, all of that stuff. Keith Smith, welcome back to the Pistons Pulse. Uh, thanks for having me, man. That's that's far too kind of an intro, but, but I'll take it. It's, it's good. I'm going to play that for my mom and dad later today. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, let's get into this because we got a lot of questions and a lot of things to talk about. Here, we're just going to talk about the Pistons' overall strategy. So, Keith, give us a little bit of rundown of I mean, the, the fan base knows where this team is right now, record-wise and, and all of that, but we're not going to talk specifically about Boyan and, and those guys until a little bit later. It, are they a buyer? Are they a seller? Should they be conservative? How is this market shaping up for the Detroit Pistons at the trade deadline here in the next couple of weeks? It would be disingenuous to say anything but a seller, but that doesn't mean you need to be a complete seller, if, if that makes sense. And if not, what I mean by that is you don't have to tear it all the way down to everybody that's not on a rookie scale contract's got to go. And I think that's 
sometimes where people go a little too far with this. It's pretty rare that you see a team go out there, especially in season, and make a series of deals where they're going to trade like seven or eight guys in season. It's just not it's just not that common to to happen. And it's it's also kind of hard to do because there's only so many roster spots and all those sorts of things. So I think for the Pistons, I would look at it though as, you know, an opportunistic seller if a handful of the vets can be moved and you can get assets back, either young players under contract draft picks, whatever it may be, you're just in asset collection mode now for, for a little bit. But it, it doesn't have to be, you know, everybody who's been in the league for more than 15 minutes has got to be traded. Like, And, and that's where I think some people are, are at least from my wider angle lens, feel feel like they're landing. Keith, uh, just, and, and, and I've reported this, uh, you know, the, the Pistons are a seller, but as you alluded to, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to sell everything off, right? Like you may have a yard sale, but you know, if everything's super expensive, then you're probably not going to sell a whole lot, right? And that's <laughs> yep. kind of, yeah, you put that price tag on the thing, hoping to bring it back into the house later, because because you you know your wife hates it, made you put it out <laughs> of the, out in the driveway, but you're like, I, I really all right, a hundred bucks for that, uh, you know, lamp that's worth probably five dollars because I want to keep it. Yeah, yeah all, <laughs> all these baseball cards are ten thousand yep. dollars. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, man. Nobody's nobody's going to buy one. I want to. Um, I want to get close to home because it's uh, that that might have happened here in the Smith House. <laughs> <laughs> I should have picked a different example. Sorry about that, Keith. <laughs> um, but I think the the Pistons are in a unique spot where um, this is Trey Weaver's third year, and eventually you want to start winning. I think the Pistons would like to start winning sooner rather than later. Uh, this was supposed to be a step forward, maybe not a, a year where you truly make the playoffs, but. You have Cade Cunningham and you have all these pieces that can help you compete. And then Cade gets hurt. And uh, I think they're on, on pace to win fewer games than they won their first two seasons, which, you know, if, you, if you're a fan or, you know, I'm sure the front office too probably didn't expect that. But I guess more philosophically, is that, you know, are the Pistons a, a team that maybe should look to, to sell? Do you kind of kick this can down the road a little bit? Or do you think when you have a guy like Bogey who's having an elite season as a score, Burks one of the best backups, it makes sense to just kind of hold these guys tight and make some decisions over the summer? What I would want to do is really sit down and say, who is part of, if we have an opportunity next year, who is either going to be part of that team to be a good team next season? And or who is part of a deal to get us someone who could push us into that. That's what you have to do versus just saying, you know, all right, Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel, Boyan Bogdanovich, these guys are all veterans. They all have to be traded. That's not necessarily the way forward all the time, right? Sometimes it is, all right, this guy could be a part of something because I, I didn't, you guys would know better than me. You're closer to it. But my belief coming in from what I was told was they intended to, Hey, if we end up good this year, that's fine with us. We're we're not bottoming this thing out still. We, we've done that now. Now it was, if we can step forward, and then the injuries just kind of sunk things before they even had a chance to really fully get going. So now it, you pivot and you turn into, all right, well, what point do we have with some of these guys? Like I look at a guy like Alec Burks, really good, solid veteran guard, and he comes off the bench for Detroit. That's a luxury for a bad team. That's kind of like having a good closer on a bad baseball team. It's like, what? what's really the point of this? And if you can get you know, something, a nice young player or an interesting young player in some form of draft pick, I would probably consider something like that. I know we're not getting into specifics on certain guys just yet, but those are the kind of things I'd be looking at. I, 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 I kind of sort of understand the, the Sadiq Bay stuff, and I have – certain thoughts on him that I know are not popular in the 
overall internet sphere, um, you know, as, as him uh, as a player. But I, I feel like it is, that seems a little odder to me. He's young, he's under team control. I'm not sure why it would be, you know, really looking at moving him. But if they feel like, yeah, we've got better fits on the roster and other things, and we spent a large chunk of the year coming off the bench, that, all right, I can kind of get behind that. But for the most part, I think it's look to move the veteran guys who may not have a place on this team the rest of this season or next season. And then if, if they, you know, go from there, you go from there, but wide scale, move everything that, that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And we will talk about Sadiq Bay, and I'm really interested to dive in that a little bit more in terms of what you think about him as a player and a possible market with him. So we will bring him up also. And we're going to talk about the NBA overall, the trade deadline, Key Smith, but specifically, I don't know why I used your last name there. I just, you're, you're so famous. I got <laughs> to okay. use Keith Smith. I can't just say Keith. I apologize. We'll talk about the NBA overall at the deadline, but specifically to the Pistons, is this shaping up to be a good market if they did want to be sellers in terms of these veterans? Yeah, big time, big time sellers market right now. There's just no, no, there's only like four teams that are out of it, like fully out of it right now. So those four teams are really, you know, they're putting asking prices that seem ridiculous on some of these guys. But when you look at it, it really is like, is it that ridiculous? Because, hey, if and I'm just going to throw it out there, if Bogdanovich is the best player available, well, somebody's going to want him. So get everything you can for him if you really want to move him. And that's that's perfectly fine, even though it may seem kind of in a vacuum. It's like, wow, multiple first round picks like that seems kind of crazy for a guy in his 30s like that. I don't really get that. But where the league stands right now, he could be a guy who could tip a finals run, maybe even a title run for, for a team if they wanted to go trade for him. So that is where I really look at that kind of stuff. And I'm like, this is where the league is so different from the last few years. The combination of the playing tournament and the flattening of the lottery odds has all but eliminated the you know serious, egregious tanking. And I look at even the four teams that are really you know out of it. We can say five if we want to put Orlando in that group too. San Antonio and Houston, I say they are naturally bad. They're, they're just young. They, they, they're figuring it out that they were going to be bad teams all along. I think Detroit has, they were, people were a little too high on them going into the season. I thought all the talk of they might be a play-in team. I couldn't get there, but I think they were going to be a bad team, but not a horrifically bad team. And then the injuries have turned them into a really bad team. And then Charlotte didn't intend to be this bad. Charlotte never intends to be like this. And it's just all falling apart for them this year. So that's where, as I look at it, no one is full on. Now they might be tanking now, like LaMelo Ball's most recent ankle injury. That might turn into, he might be out for three weeks, right, with a sprained ankle. And that's where you kind of start to turn on the, all right, tanking is what it is. You know, I, I could see Detroit getting back from from Paris and saying, you know what, Bogdanovich needs a couple of days to recover from all the travel. You know, let's let's do that. You know, I'm not saying they're going to, but those are the kind of things we're going to start seeing pop up here if, as we get, you know, to and past the trade deadline. But then the play-in tournament, it's got everybody else still in it. They've got something to play for. And some of those teams, right or wrong, think, well, we get in the playing tournament, we win that. Hey, we can make a run as a 7-3 seed, right? And that's where where it's really changed things. Where two weeks, two, two, two and a half weeks as we record this from the trade deadline, you would have normally had seven or eight teams by now where it's like, all right, they're sellers. So what I tend to think, and this is a very long answer, a very simple question is, whoever becomes an early mover might really 
find a huge bang for their buck here. It may be a massive return for a couple of guys just by being an early mover. And I think that's something to really watch here. We're in a lot of noise out of Utah who's hanging in there for maybe even making, you know, the sixth seed still saying, ah, is that really what we want to do? And it's Danny Ainge, so you can never tell what he's got planned. But I think when you get into all that stuff, it's like, yeah, I think he knows, hey, if we're an early mover here, we may set the market price on some of these guys. And then we all know how it goes. You get to, you know, two o'clock on trade deadline day, two Eastern, and it's like, all right, we can't get it multiple first round picks. How about a protected one single protected first round pick. And that's where, because then it becomes, all right, this is malpractice to keep this guy on the roster because he's got no place here. Let's just get what we can for him. So yeah, if you move now, you, you might get the better, better return. Keith, I think, and you alluded to it, uh, just talking about sort of the different timeline for these teams and Pistons were still in, like, I think me and Bryce both agreed. They probably were not going to be a playing team, but they would be feisty and they have not been feisty. They've just been outright bad even largely because of the Kate injury. But I think that positions of them maybe a little bit, little bit more uniquely this offseason where you can see them swinging either way. Like maybe we need to lay this rebuild out a few more years or maybe we just strike now. We have a top five pick. We have Kate Cunningham coming back. We have some cap space. We have all these tools we can use to get better and actually basically do what Atlanta did back in 2000 and I believe 20 before they went to the Eastern Conference Finals, right? Like Trey Young, Stennis third year, signed for us to actually win some games. Uh, you also missed the market being hot and the Pistons, they set that price for Bogey really high and it makes it seem like they're probably not going to move them now unless the team decides to put all their chips in and say, hey, we're going to go for it. Do you think those types of packages could still be available this summer when the NBA hypothetically is still just as much of a bloodbath just from a competition standpoint or a parity standpoint and maybe you hold on to bogey you hold on to burks do you think those types of deals will still be there this summer when the pistons have more maneuverability and maybe could even leverage that further than, than they can right now yeah i think for some guys for sure I, I think for someone like like bogdanovich you you can still probably get I, two first seems a little steep for me, but you could probably still get a first or a first in a, in a young player or something like that. I think in the summer you could still get that. Burks, I think, becomes more of a, it, you've been doing this a long time, Amari Bryce. You've been, you know, following the league forever. Everybody loves their roster in July, right? Everybody's like, we, 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 we all got, you know, the, the guy we picked on our board was he was the next guy on our board, no matter where you picked him, right? Like some somehow, you know, uh, Scoot Henderson's going to be the top pick on the board for whoever lands number two. Even though it's like, really, you did, you had him over one Binyami, a bunch of liars. Right? <laughs> but it's it's just that's just how it goes. And then it, everybody nails every trade, every signing. Like we, that guy was you know our number one free agent target. And it's like really he's your fourth point guard on a minimum deal. Like fine if you like him. So that's where I think a guy like Burks or a guy like Noel, what happens with them is no one's going to be super hot on those guys because they're going to like, I kind of like my combo guard off the bench that, that I have already. Like, I don't feel a need. Whereas today, if you're a team that is like, you know, we could make the finals run, but you know what we're missing? We're missing a combo guard off the bench. That gives him more value right now today than maybe it will over the summer because over the summer, you're thinking, well, let's, let's let this play out a little bit. The other thing you have to factor in is you then becomes your balance with Burks, Noel, Knox, do we care more about having those guys as trade chips if you keep them past the trade deadline by opting into their their team options, picking those up? Or would we rather just wipe those off the books, 
have the cap space and move on that way. That's, that's where that becomes that toss up. And that's the conversation. Troy Weaver, uh, the, the business, you know, is his front office lieutenants. They all need to be sitting down and saying, all right, what are our plans? Not just for the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months. But what are our plans for the next six months with this roster? What are we really hoping to hit training camp 2023 with for, for this team? Because that's going to help you guide all right, it's time to move on from some of these guys. Or, you know what, I think these guys can be a part of something because Cunningham gets back, a year of growth from the, the other kids. All right, we're all right. Like, like we, we get these guys back. We need a Burks. We need a Noel. We, we need that depth kind of piece, you know, there for us. So that's, that's the conversations you need to be having because it sounds great to say, hey, the Pistons can have a billion in cap space. But what gets forgotten in that, you only get there if you wipe everything else away, except for your your guaranteed money. So that's where you're 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 balancing all that out because it's not going to be a uh, you get both. It's it's a very much an either or, and then it becomes or right, when do we wipe that away now, or do we do it you know a few months down the line? Looking even further down the line, Keith, some of these rookies. It- they're going to start needing extensions, whether they keep them. I know we just talked about Sadiq Bay. Killing Hayes is playing better. I'm not saying these are going to be massive deals. The Pistons, I think, you know, according 50 million roughly could have this summer, but eventually some of that salary cap space is going to be taken up by their own guys. So what I've been wondering is, do they need to make this big move in the next season or two? Because eventually that cap space is going to be taken up by these rookie extensions. They need to spin this on an outside player so then they can use going over the cap to sign their rookie extensions. Am, am I thinking about that the right way? And then also, how will this new CBA in the next couple of years play into that in terms of maybe opening up more and more cap space as that, you know, it sounds like is going to grow. Yeah, so I'm going to answer those in parts because it's two two really good questions with two very different questions, but they are related. So to your first part is the way I look at team building is that is has to always be a concern. You unless you are a team that is one two moves away from winning a championship. You have to be looking at a three, four, five year time horizon with this. And for a team like the Pistons, that's exactly what you're doing. You're looking at it as we only have a couple more years of Cade Cunningham on a, and and I'm using this in very relative terms, cheap contract. And, but you have to also, you can't go too far with that because the reality is Cade Cunningham is not Luka Doncic, where Doncic by this point didn't their similar career arcs. It was like, yep, he's the dude. We can build around him. That's it. I love Cade Cunningham. I think he's going to be very, very, very good. But I think your challenge comes with him is if you're going to do that, if you're going to make the let's go get guys moves because we got to fill out the roster before he gets expensive and then he doesn't get there, now all of a sudden it's like, cool, we just built a 41-win roster team and we're going to be in the play-in tournament every year until we can clean this up. So if you're going to make those moves, you have to feel certain, certain, certain. Or Jaden Ivey needs to really pop or whoever it is. You've got to feel like I have that guy to fully build around. Otherwise, I think you take the approach of let's just let it play out. Let's see. And if it turns into, hey, we can swipe player X from another team because they're ready to give up on him. Or Kind of like the Jeremy Grant situation a couple years ago. Well, we had a free agent who we weren't fully expecting wanted to come here. Now he does. We've, we've got that flexibility today to go grab that guy. The, it's 
it, this sounds weird, and, and I know people hate this because, like, oh, of course, the cap guy says it this way. The best thing they have going for them right now is their flexibility. They can do all sorts of different things, and that's that's no knock on any of the players on the roster, but there's not a single guy on that roster who stands out as, yep, that's the dude, that guy's an all-star in a year or two, that's it, we've got that guy. There might be. I think Kate Cunningham has a real chance to get there. I I think Jaden Ivey could get there too. I, I'm I'm higher, I think, on Ivy. I think Jalen Dern, let's get let's talk three years from now, like just because there are so many flashes with him where it's like, holy cow, like he's gonna be something. And then he does stuff that it's like, yeah, <laughs> he's he's super young. It's gonna take a while for him to figure it out. But I think it's that's that's where I go with that flexibility part of it is like, all right, we're there. Like, like that's it. So I think that's what we have to be very cautious of. You cannot make those kind of all right, let's build everything around Cade Cunningham all-star unless you're really, really certain that's going to come to pass because that's how you build a very average team, and that's where you get stuck in the middle. And, and nobody wants to be there, right? It's You either want to be bad or good. Like It's just kind of how the NBA works. To the second part of your question, yes, the CBA is going to come in, new CBA. We're also going to have new TV contracts right on the heels of that. The cap is going to go up, 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 up. So what I have started to try to frame folks and where we're doing this education over on spot track, like very regularly is stop thinking in terms of 25 and $30 million contracts. Think of them in terms of percentage of the cap, because what you you have to start thinking is, is player X worth 20% of my cap? If you think so, that's great. So today, 20% of that cap is, you know, 20, four-ish million, 25 million. In a couple of years, 20% of the cap might be 30 million, you know, 35 million. Like that's just where it's going. We're going to be, it's, we are very, very, very close to players signing 60 and $70 million a year contracts. I know that seems unfathomable and people can't wrap their heads around it, but we're not that far off already. We've got guys like Steph Curry and his extension. He's making well into the 50 million a year range. That's just where the cap is headed. So teams are going to start locking in. And what you can do today, today, next year, the year after that, those are the years to try and lock in guys at numbers that, wow, that number feels a little high today. But then a couple years from now, when the cap pops up, it's like, oh man. That's, you know, now that dude makes 10% of the cap and he's a near all-star player. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, that feels like a bargain. And I, I realized there's some people whose heads are spinning probably right now listening to this saying, how is $25 million a year a bargain? But that's where we're going. Like, that's just where, where we're headed in, in this sport. And, and there's no sign to increasing the roster sizes. There's, there's probably expansion is going to come, but that's not going to change anything on individual player salaries. So that is where you really need to be focused on, you know, it might seem a little off today, but start look look at those later out years and feel like, wow, that's, that's where, where we're headed. All right. That deal doesn't seem as crazy to me as it might have otherwise. And I think that'll be really important with extensions that may be coming for Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bay, Killian Hayes, because in the first yeah. year, those numbers may seem high, but then the rest of those contracts are going to be under the new CBA. And like you said, those percentages of the cap are, might look really, really good. Once that happens, we're going to go to a short break and then we're going to dive into some of the players we've mentioned, Boyan Bogdanovich, Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel, well and even Sadiq Bay and what their markets may be around the league what the Pistons could be looking for and may be able to get but Amari will lead us off with Boyan after this short break 
All right, we're back with segment two, and we're going to dive right into uh, the, the player forecast. So let's start off with a player who's probably been one of the hottest names on the market, uh, Boyan Bogdanovic. Uh, just conversations I've had, I know the Pistons have set a very high price on him. I know they like his fifth organization and are not at all opposed by any means to bringing him back you know, over the summer if nobody meets their asking price. Uh, you know, I know they would like a really good first-round pick for him, uh, at least. Uh, for you, I guess, where's, where are you hearing sort of the market for a guy like Bogey is, and where would you value him, just given how efficient he's been on offense for this business team, a bad business team at that? So him as a player, he's awesome. And, and I, don't, I don't think he gets enough appreciation for what he is basically for almost his entire career. He has been really good. He can be your offensive engine. He can be your fourth guy. There are not very many players in the NBA who can fill both of those roles. A lot of those guys, you put them into that third, fourth player role, and they just kind of disappear, and they're not happy and all that. He's good. He's a good spot-up guy. He's good playing away from the ball, or he's good with the ball in his hands as the kind of primary you know, offense creator. I think I continually shock people when they're like, yeah, but, you know, is he really that good? And then they go look at his numbers. They look at the points per game like, well, somebody has to score on a bad team. And then I'm like, yeah, now look at the shooting percentage. And that's all of a sudden when you see they're like, oh, all right. Like, okay. And then I'm like, now now go beyond this year. Look at like the last five. He's basically the same dude. He just takes a few more shots this year. So it's not, you know, and that's even for me, that's a good sign that is, as his offense has scaled in volume, his efficiency has not changed. It, it's exactly you know where it is. It's slightly better this year. Like I, I keep telling people, he could turn in the most anonymous 50-40-90 season we've ever seen. And everybody would be like, wait, what? And then I kind of hope it happens because I hope like we're like, Boyan Bogdanovich did what on a horrible pit? Like, how, how did that go down? Just because I think it would be a funny foot. And it's not where he's making a million unsustainable, contested 18-foot mid-range shots like Julius Randle a few years ago. This is like he's making good shots, the same kind of shots he's always kind of gotten in his career. So that's why if I'm Detroit, I'm 100%. All I keep hearing is, and I and I hear it mostly from frustrated teams that are like, they want two firsts for him. They want a first and a really good player. Like that's ridiculous, right? And I'm like, why? Who who's as good as him on the market today? Now the problem is, if you hold on to that until two thirty on Thursday on trade deadline day, it might be all right. Well, then you just keep him. But I think Detroit's going to say, fine. Them. We're happy to keep him. We signed him to the extension. That extension was brilliant for two reasons. And I think the one is obvious of, well, you locked up the player, right? You, you have him. But I think what is gone missed is they gave up relatively nothing to get him, right? It was basically a salary swap is how I look at it. And now I've heard people be like, why do they feel like they should get picks when they didn't give up picks to get him? Well, because by signing him to that extension made him a far more valuable trade asset than he was prior, because now you're not trading for a pending, you know, expiring player who may just leave after, you know, a two month playoff run may say, I'm out of here. Like, I don't want to be on this team anymore. So that's where I really look at this. And I say, yeah, he's a great, you know, value on that. And I know. There's a little bit of a question in the age wise, like it does feel a little off to be asking so much for him, but I don't know. I wouldn't move too far off my asking price if I was Detroit, because I really do think he's that good. And I think there's a place for him on whatever next year's team is. I think next year's team, 
not to get too far into that and go back to the first part is, I think the goal next year has to be it's our step forward season. I'm not saying you got to be the Cavs and make a jump up to fourth or fifth in the conference, but you need to be pushing towards, all right, we're going to be in the the six to 10 range, at least in the play in. We're going to be really pushing towards that. And that's where we got to go only because rebuilds lose patience very, very quickly, both players, front office, ownership, and fans. And when you lose the patience in a rebuild, that's when you make silly mistakes and start to do really dumb stuff. So I think that's where, hey, you can keep him around, still have $40 million in cap space, and be perfectly fine to go, hey, let's add pieces around this, and we should be able to craft together a pretty good roster. So, yeah, it's 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 such a interesting spot to me just because there, there's so many ways you can go with him. And I also wanted to add that the second year of his extension is partially guaranteed. Yeah. For $2 yeah. Million, which I think pushes it over the top of just an excellent value for the Yeah, team. that partial in that partial guarantee is like a joke. Like yeah. it's not even it's so little that it's like I mean it's that I'll I'll take it if if Bogdanovich doesn't want it, right? I'm it's almost a team it. option. Yeah, basically, yeah. It, it's so little that like it's a team's that the team's not even gonna factor that into any analysis beyond that's a year of team control we have that, you know, is great. So now we've got two years of team control beyond whatever we get from him on a stretch run if you trade for him. So, yeah, it's it's absolutely great because, again, he's a guy, if he does start to slow down in a couple of years, cool. So he transitions into a sixth, seventh man role, and you're fine with, you know, with him for a couple of seasons beyond that. So it's – and if he falls all the way off the ledge, like you said, Amari – you get out of that deal for nothing on that last year with, you know, and you're just you're just moving along with no worries. I can't help but wonder if maybe if they want to trade him, I almost feel like right now is the time. Like this is because like you said earlier, you get out in front of all this other stuff and and we'll talk about this, but what if another team does fall off the map? What if the Raptors decide to blow this whole thing up? Well, now there's some other guys that are better than him. If, Washington all at the same position too, yeah. right? That's the other thing, that kind of big wing player. That's that's what you have to watch. And that's where like I was talking to someone the other day and they're like, Yeah, you know, Charlotte is ready to start really listening on like Jalen McDaniels and they'd love to move Hayward, obviously, and that's probably not happening in season. But but the problem is everybody's like, if we don't if we do it now, do we do it too early and we didn't get enough of a return. But if we wait, does Toronto come in and be like, hey, who wants uh Gary Trent and you know OG Ananobi? Like, what what are those? And now all of a sudden it's like crap, suitors are off the table because they, you know, they're, they're looking at those guys. So that's where they, yeah, you're absolutely right on that price. It's it becomes where where are you going with that? But you know, it's Troy Weaver and crew are smart. They're not gonna be rushed into something just out of fear. They'll 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 do it you know, the way they think is best. And I think the Pistons are also aware of uh, the fact that they got Bogey in such a good deal and he's been so good on that deal that, sure, you may sell high now, but given that you do want to try to be better next season, can you make a better use of that money and still feel what he gives you just from an elite scoring standpoint when he is can be your number one or number two next to Cade and just take so much pressure off? It's like if you have a house in a market where everything exploded, right? And it's like, yeah, yeah sell and you get way more than what I got it for, but you, you still need, need a house. You still have to go somewhere else. So now, Man, so well, Amari's like buggy. hitting me right in the heart Uh-oh. on this show because, like, we looked at doing. We we literally were like during it was like right on the heels of the pandemic like here i live in orlando and it was like a huge hot market and we we're like you know like we're home all the time i'd like like 
now we're we, we basically are here in the house. He's like, I'd like a like a like a pool and like a nicer backyard and all that stuff. I was like, man, we could sell our house for quite a bit. But then it's like, yeah, and then every penny plus a whole bunch of pennies we don't have to buy the next place. So that's that's where yeah, where you're going into that point in the to bring it back around to the NBA. This reagent class is not great. It, it's it's another one where it's a little weak. It, it's really not super strong because of things like Bogdanovich signing extensions, guys like him coming off the board. Some of that depth has come up. There are still good players, and there's going to be moves. But kind of, Bryce, I forgot that when you asked earlier about the overall landscape, I think the trade landscape is going to be big this summer because it's just anytime you have a lot of teams with cap space, and I project there to be about nine, maybe we could get to 10 or 11, 12 pending uh, trade deadline moves. And it's not a great free agent class. That lends itself to a very busy trade market. And the league's wide open. We've got, what, 10, 12 teams that I think, whether it's today or six months from now when we're in the offseason, could be like, yeah, why not us? Like, we can be in the mix with this. There's no former Golden State dynasty Warriors run looming over all this where it's like, well, it's Warriors, Cavs, and everybody else is hoping, you know, they, you know, all simultaneously decide to retire. Like, it's like, that's going to be what it is. That doesn't exist anymore. So that that wide openness is going to add to player movement, too. And Bogey's also a great trade piece. I keep cutting you off, Bryce, but, but he's also a great trade piece because he's on a one-year deal, essentially, after the season. So I think the Pistons look at that, too, where it's like, you know, if we have cap space that we can make trades and the Houston doesn't have a, a bogey asset. Yep. So doesn't have a bogey asset. Maybe that pushes us over the, the top. So I think logically it makes sense to trade him now, but it's also a chance to trade him now and they look back at five years and it's like, maybe we should have just played it out and see what happened. Well, what you don't want to be is as you're taking that step forward season next year, you don't want to be sitting at this time a year from now saying, you know what we could really use? I'm on Bogdanovich time. Because then it's like, oh, man, like we we had him. Now, you know, you hope whatever the return is has helped you get there and, you know, and it's got you set up for the future. But, yeah, that's that that is true. Like you that you do run into that as well. So just to put a cap on bogey before we move to Burks, I'm not going to ask you like. I don't know. Maybe you don't like predictions. I am going to ask you, if you don't want to do a prediction, don't do a prediction. But who do you think is the best fit for Bogdanovich? And what would you guess a a return could be if they moved him at the deadline? Because I like the idea of some sort of unprotected, maybe top three protected, but some sort of first round pick that's not super protected. And then a young prospect. That's where I would be. Where are you at? And what do you think, you know, might realistically happen? Where, Where does he fit really nice? Yeah, you put me in a spot where I feel absolutely gross saying this as Uh-oh. someone who grew up in Boston. It feels like it's the Lakers. Like, it really does. Like, it just feels like he would fill 25 needs for them. Like, it just feels that way with them. And if I was the Pistons, boy, I would love one of those picks unprotected down the line. Now, there's a chance because they're the Lakers, they're just because of where they are and they're the Lakers, they could turn it around by 27, 29 and be completely awesome. But there's also a chance they bumbled their way into this is a mess post LeBron and they're back to like where they were a few years ago before LeBron went there, where it was like, what they have like, they felt like they had the number two pick for like four years in a row. So it could be, could be in that kind of situation. So I think when you get into that spot, that's where it really becomes he he fits so many things, and for Detroit side, you're not going to get both of those picks. Like not even with protections, you're not going to get them because it's too hard for them to protect those picks. But if you can get one of those picks, like unprotected, that starts to be like all right, because you can also get enough in expiring salary that doesn't mess you up 
punt pass this year. Because that's the other pieces, right? If I'm trading Bogdanovich, I don't want anything coming back on my books that isn't attached to a kid on a rookie scale deal or a first year, uh, you know, undrafted second round pick deal. That's, you know, interesting. I don't want any significant money going on my books if I move him too. So that's where I feel like he'd be absolutely the best fit, but he could play anywhere and fill a ton of needs. Memphis is another team. I think he would be amazing on the Grizzlies because he could either start at the three, come off the bench for that team. They've got some kids. They could, cobble together a deal and send a Detroit that starts to be, wow, that's kind of interesting now. Now we're we're kind of on something there. So I I almost wonder, you know, could that be a place where we would fit? But hey, you know, at the expense of time, because I could go through, you know, probably 14 other teams. I'm like, I like them there. It's I if anything should come across clear, I'm a I'm a pretty big boy. I'm a Donovich fan. I, I I think he's a very good player on a very, very good contract. Alec Burks. So we've talked about him a little bit, but his value is a little different just given that he is in a bench row and uh, maybe just the track record that Bogey has isn't quite there. But where where would you value him? And especially with that team option worth $10 billion this summer, just how much does that put a wrinkle into his future value for the Pistons or maybe their decision-making as well? Yeah, he feels like a guy who should be somewhere else to me. Um, just because I feel like for the Pistons – that $10 million could be used better. Now you have to have the same evaluation process of a year from now, do you want to be like, you know what we could use? We could use Alec Burks behind Cunningham and Ivy in our backcourt because that gets tough. And what's really changed for me with Alec Burks is the last few years, this year he's shooting lights out. But the last couple of years before that, he was pretty good too. And he's always been a little bit more of a shaky shooter. He can, I, I think his role right now is really good playing you know he's combo guard off the bench can let him run some stuff he can play off the ball he's you know pretty good cutter i for a long time i've been kind of like you know he'd fit really good playing with Nikola Jokic. like just you know he's a good cutter he's a good good passer you know off the cuts he can spot up like he's just a good player all around but i think where where you go with that if that conversation needs to be less about today because fine he's playing well but what does that do i, I don't think that does anything right for you if you're Detroit like I'm not trying to win games now like you know and not not that they're trying to lose but like it doesn't matter if he helps you to four more wins this year that's is that a good thing I'm not entirely sure but I think when you look at it with him next year it's is he worth 10 million dollars on our books or is he better off being on somebody else's team and we have 10 million in cap space again any trade the Pistons make, and I, this will be the last time I say it, or not, we'll see. Just don't take on any money long term, right? Like, just, you know, try to increase your flexibility even more, especially for guys who won't be on the books anyway. Like, you got you got to be really careful about that. So, yeah, it's interesting. Now, value-wise, you might be able to get, a like, a top 20 protected first if some team gets really, you know, man, but we really need that, I think. It sucks because you're not – no, and nobody in Detroit is sitting there rooting for injuries around the league. But you better believe if a guard goes down on a contender, Detroit's probably going to make a call and say, like, hey, it looks like you could use a guard. Like, what are you thinking? And then that's where, you know, now all of a sudden that could go from being, all right, two seconds and maybe a interesting kid to 
all right, we can get a, a protected first round pick out of this team. Like that, that could be something that happens. So that's what they're looking at with Burks is as a young, maybe not nearly as upside prospect or a couple second round picks, something like that. We're not talking first round type pick, at least not right now, unless like you say, it's a team that just, hey, we're title contenders. We lost our seventh man, our best guard off the bench. And Burks is going to help make sure that we go and still compete for this title. Is, is there a team out there right Right now, like off the top of my head, it doesn't seem like there's as obvious needs. I'm sure there are, but is there anybody that you had in mind that's like, man, this team is really missing, uh, you know, 12 to 15 point a night score off the bench? Yeah, I, I think, you know, Philly could use a guy like that. Maybe uh, Milwaukee is a team. I think Brooklyn's depth after you get through the first couple is a little rough, but they've got a bunch of guards on that team. Um, Cleveland's a little bit interesting, but they've got Rubio back. Now, uh, if you look out West, I think again, I mentioned him before, I think Memphis could be kind of an interesting team for a guy like him. In a lot of ways, he's almost like, like the smaller version of Bogdanovich, right? Where Bogdanovich is a, his, in today's game, he's like a, a three, four who could also play as a big two works is like a, uh, a two, three who can also play as like a big one. So it's just like, he's like one position slid down from that. So I feel like that is where you, those are the kind of teams you're looking at, right? The Kings, I think could use a, a, bigger guard off their bench. They wanted to make a move like that. The problem is them finding the matching value that's going to go the other way. And that's where you just, you got to, you'll really dive into those rosters a little bit to say, because it's funny, you know, we'll get, and I'm sure you guys get filled with these at this time of year where it's like, oh yeah, I saw you mentioned Alec Burks. You think we could get Keegan Murray for him from the Kings? <laughs> like, like, that's not going to happen. You know, like, like we can't, you know, let's not get silly about this stuff. Like, you know, if, it, if you want to take back Terrence Davis and Alex Len is matching salary that's not on your books and you in the Kings plus set up with a you know some kind of draft capital sure like that could happen but yeah he, he's a guy who can fit again too because he's not someone who's going to come in as like I have to start to be effective like he can come off your bench he can play you know there I kind of he's kind of like a poor man's Malcolm Brogdon in a way where it's like he can play a lot of different roles and that's Brogdon's doing that excellently for Boston right now. Yeah, and you don't have to move Burks to get off his contract because you can get off his contract. If that's all you want to do, then you just keep him, you write him out this season. You know, the other thing that I think Troy Weaver does a really good job, unless Burke wants to move. You know, I think Troy Weaver's done a good job. You know, he moved Derrick Rose to New York and some of those things. So unless Burke's just wanted out because the team's not near as good, but you don't have to move him for salary reasons because it is a team option. And another guy that has a team option, and we'll talk about after this short break, is Nerlens Noel. We'll talk about him, any possible trade market for him, and, and maybe even some of the young guys. And, and we talked about Sadiq Bey a little bit earlier. We'll do all of that after we take a short break right here. All right, we're back with segment three, and let's get into a player that his, his name has popped up, and maybe he's a little bit more gettable than the other young players on the roster, but I'll still be very surprised to see him move Sadiq Bey. Uh, he probably hasn't had the third season a lot of people wanted to see from him, and you alluded to some thoughts on Sadiq earlier that, you know, makes you trouble with Pistons fans, so we're not going to throw you to the wolves on this one. Oh, uh, that's okay. You can. <laughs> You're probably going to uh, say it anyway. <laughs> but I, I, I guess I'm just curious. With a guy like Sadiq, it's not too often you see players dealt before they get to that, uh, you know, initial uh, 
extension point or restricted free agency. Uh, where do you kind of value him? And for a Pistons team that already has bogey, uh, kind of how does that alter your situation compared to past seasons as they go into the trade deadline and this offseason? I think his potential still, even this deep, and I'm putting deep very much in quotation marks because it's not deep, but his potential of the Pistons is worth way more than they could ever reasonably get in a trade for him. And I'm not somebody saying like, you need multiple firsts or I need, I need a Keegan Murray kind of guy. Like that's, that's going too far, but it just doesn't, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me to trade him for even a top 20 protected first or just like another, yeah, that guy's kind of interesting. The forward line's a little bit crowded, but not so much so that I'd be worried about that at this point in their, uh, you know, team building horizon. I just, I would keep him. Now, my issue with Sadiq Bey is, and trust me, like anytime his name comes up, I, I know I'm going to get a million uh, Celtics fans being like, what about Sadiq Bey? Because one, his contract is so small. So it's very easily gettable for a team and you you can, you know, drop him into trade exceptions and all sorts of stuff around the league. And, and my thing is, I don't know on a contender what hole he necessarily fills because he's a guy who needs the rest. He needs the last, I don't I don't know exactly how many games Detroit has left, but the last 30, 35 games, whatever it is on the season to really explore the studio space. Let him kind of do his thing. I know that kind of happened last year and he dropped 50 on Orlando. <laughs> so, you know, it, it turns into, all right, well, that could be what happens. And, and I think, my challenge is the number one thing is people are like, well, he's big, he's a big wing and he can shoot. And I'm like, can he shoot? I'm not sold that he can. And people are like, yeah, yeah, he can shoot. And I'm like, well, if he can shoot, can he make? Cause that's the important thing. Like, you know, because, and you look at the numbers, they're not very good. You know, and it's not just, my thing is if you're a three point specialist that shoots 38% from three and 40% overall, that's fine because then 90% of your shots are coming from three. So I don't really care so much about your overall shooting percentage, but he's not that he's not a three point specialist. So his shooting 35 to 38% from three, but followed by 40% top end range from overall, that's not good. That tells me can't finish. He can't get to the, to the, you know, where he needs to be inside to his spots. Now, why I'm not out fully is, Maybe he just hasn't figured out where his spots are yet. And sometimes guys like him who he was kind of, if I remember right, he was kind of an overpowering player in college. I wonder if he just hasn't learned the craft yet at the NBA game where it's like, all right, I can't go through everybody here or over a bunch of guys. I got to develop a little more craft to my game. Like I think I look at Cade Cunningham. Day one, he came in with a lot of craft in his scoring game. I was like, yeah, this kid just kind of knows how to get to his spots, get his looks up. Bay doesn't have that. It felt like he came in initially. He's like, I'm just going to bulldoze through guys. And I was like, oh, I can't do that. And then that turned into, well, I can't bulldoze through him. So I'll settle for a bunch of crappy step back 18 footers. And it's like, those are awful shots. Like, stop taking them. They look great when they go in in a 50 point game, right? Then it's like, dude's on fire and he's in his bag, you know, and all that stuff that gets said. And it's like, but then when it's, oh, wow, we went three for 15 and missed 10 mid-range jumpers that were semi-contested, it's like, yeah, and they were only semi-contested because teams want you taking those. So that's, that's I it just, I'm in a weird place with him where I just, anytime somebody's like, well, you can shoot. And I'm like, I'm not sure he can. It's like the Billy Bean quote, Moneyball, if, he, if he's a good hitter, why doesn't he hit good? Right? Like, if he's a good shooter, why doesn't he shoot good? Like, you know, stop, stop telling me he can shoot when everything i i watch and every number i look at tells me he can't but 
that's why for the Pistons, I would not move him because these are the moves to get you fired if you're Troy Weaver. You trade him, and in two years, all of a sudden, he's a key dude on a very good team. It's like, we had him, we had him for nothing. And to your point on the um, extension piece, that's the other thing people need to factor in with these guys. He's extension eligible this summer. So you're going to trade for him for two months and then initially go right into July with him saying, I want X for an extension. And and you're going to have two months in your team to – all right, where do we really want to go with this extension talks? That's where that it gets very tricky. So if I was Detroit, I'd just hang on to him unless somebody absolutely blowed, you know, blew me away with you know a, a, a trade offer, and I just don't think that's coming. Where he's at on his rookie deal, it doesn't make sense to move him until next year at the deadline, right? Because then that would be going if into... Even then, yeah. I say, because then it would be like the qualifying... Like, that's whenever the Pistons traded for Marvin Bagley III, right? Like, whenever the next summer was going to be... The upcoming summer was going to be the qualifying offer and the end of the deal and all that. So, yeah, I, I just... I'm with you. Um, You know, I... I think Omari and I, you know, I try to be unbiased when we evaluate these guys. He's had some, he's very sporadic with his play. Like you just look at his game logs. He'll go 21, 28, 35, 6, 15. Like it's just very up and down. And I think you make a good point. He's still kind of figuring out what his game is and his role has changed. And then, you know, a lot of times we talk about these guys as three and D players. Well, he also hasn't done the second part of that. Like his, his defense <laughs> yeah. is is a little bit of a question, which this whole team's defense is a question. So like maybe you know that's who a he reminds me of a lot. I'm curious to see if you guys agree. He reminds me of young Tobias Harris, okay. like Orlando Tobias Harris, where Tobias Harris, you'd look up and you'd be like, wow, Tobias Harris is an 18 point per game guy. But I was going every single one of those games. Yeah, he was an 18 point per game guy because he scored 28 one night and eight the next. Yep. Yeah. And that's like, and that's worse than just scoring 18 every night. I know people think that sounds nuts, but it's like you score 18 every night and your low end is 12 and your high end is 24. Teams are going to take that every single day over give me 28 one night and six the next because I don't know which guy I'm getting. And that's what Sadiq Bay. Kind of similar, I think, on defense, too. He's kind of a man without a position. Like, he's not necessarily super quick enough to guard all the perimeter guys. He's not big enough to bang with all the bigs. But that's still that doesn't mean he's he's out, right? Like, like, like he's still somebody you, you find a place for and figure it out. You, like you said, you would rather the Pistons find out whether it's truly there or not than somebody else. And I'm glad you brought that up. I actually had that on the outline last week, and we didn't get to it. But I, I was interested, the philosophical idea behind – somebody that can score 30 one night, but then 10 the next night, or somebody that's just going to give you 15 steady every night. And to me, in his role, it does seem to make sense. You would rather have the steady 15. Let's move on to Nerland's Noel. He also has a player, or excuse me, team option for next season. I've seen his name a little bit. You know, I only scroll Twitter, so I don't know how much of this stuff is always true, but it does seem like teams, at least a few, are always looking for a backup big man. I don't know how playable he is in the playoffs. He's been good in very, very, very limited minutes with the Pistons this season when they've had to use him. Is there a market out there for Nerlens Noel? And if there is, what is it? Yeah, it's called the bio market, <laughs> I think. I just, I, I don't know who's giving anything of value, right? You would have to be at a spot where we absolutely need a fourth or fifth big and we'll throw Detroit two second round picks we don't care about it, it that that's a team like Miami or Phoenix who just they they they're like Miami is like we'll pluck a dude undrafted off the street developing him into a player so I don't really care about having second round picks 
So if they were in, and they're not in a spot where they need a guy like Noel. And then the other problem is, you know, what I think he becomes a bigger part of is, hey, let's throw him in an Alec Burks deal where we can send you a $20 million player and we get the two of them and then off we go versus, you know, hey, we're, we're super interested in Nerlens Noel as a sole guy. I think for Detroit, you hit, you let that one go all the way to 259 on, on trade deadline day. And if somebody calls and says, Hey, what about a single second? Yep. Schedule the trade call. Let's get in the queue before, before the buzzer rings here. And that's one where even if you don't get it, you're on the phone with his agent at 301. Hey, there was no trade buyout. Like, you know, how much will you give back to set him free? And then some team will sign him, right? Some team will say, hey, we'll bring him in, prorated minimum for the rest of the season, put him on our bench, see what it looks like, and go from there. And it's it's tough. It's it's weird because this he gets me in trouble with Celtics fans because he's, he's a Boston kid, right? So they've all wanted him forever on the Celtics. I mean, back to when it was like, Philly's going to move him. Like, why aren't the Celtics involved? Why aren't they going to get him? And I keep telling people, I'm like, well, he's not playing on bad teams like he's you know they're just like he, he the problem is he has what was it it was it like a week ago he was in the rotation when like none of the other bigs were healthy and he showed out in a couple games and then looked pretty good and it's like and then that's great but he's not in the rotation because Dwayne Casey and the rest of the Pistons know a ball leaving him in the rotation for the next week is going to be is a bunch of games where he doesn't look very good. And now it's like, uh, let's leave people thinking like, hey, remember that dude who blocked like seven shots in a two-game period? Like that's the guy you want versus, hey, remember the guy who foul, you know, had five fouls in 12 minutes and, you know, committed four bad turnovers? Like that's – so let's leave it with that. But, yeah, I – Trade market for him, It's I got to imagine it's almost non-existent. But, again, don't rush it, right? Just hang on to it. And this, he becomes an interesting test case for, do we want to have 9 million in trade capital this summer or 9 million in cap space this summer? For me, take the 9 million in cap space because you're going to have a bunch, but they've operated a little bit differently at times, you know, in Detroit. So it starts to become a little, a little bit of a, you know, all right, I could kind of see it, but yeah, I don't think so. I, I just don't see any value, especially on that contract. And I think Nerlens is a guy that, uh, for some reason, the perception of the player he is and the player he actually is, there's a bit of a gap. Uh, there's, like, I know Bryce has seen it too. There's a lot of Pistons fans who are like, why is it Derlin's playing? Why is it Derlin's playing? And he, this and that. And like you mentioned, it's the, like, yeah, you have a game where he puts on, like, this great defensive performance, but from game to game, he's probably not going to be that. You already have Jalen Duran, who's part of the future, and then he's injury prone as well. So you might get a few good weeks out of him. And then, you know, he, soreness or something, like he missed all the training camp in preseason. Uh, recovering from something this past summer. And uh, I think those things kind of drag his value down as well. So if you get a second round pick for him, cool. But you get a championship team who thinks that he is going to make a difference in a title. And that's a very different question. He's more of a player you take a flyer on than somebody that you identify as being a true difference maker every single night. Yeah, I had someone ask me, like, Detroit did the opposite. Whereas, like, hey, we'll take a flyer on Marvin Bagley, you know, a year ago. And... This is this is not that right. This is he's enough older and he's got enough of a track record where you're more like, all right, I really need I need to have somebody in case I have an injury in my front court or we hit foul trouble, you know, in the playoffs or whatever it is. You know, if you're if it's like all right, we're we're gonna have to go against Jokic and we're gonna pile up a bunch of fouls or Joel Embiid and I need a fifth big that I can have you know deep on my bench to throw in there. And it's like I'll go back to like I get Celtics fans asking, I'm like. 
that's what Blake Griffin's doing for this team now. Like you don't need another guy to to do that. Yeah, if it was Rob Williams never made it back this year, then all right, we could have a different conversation and say, could you explore? But I think the other challenge is for contending teams, matching you know nine million in salary is not super easy either. Like that starts to become a all right, it's not a hard, but I'm probably giving you something I kind of like in my rotation. I think contending teams are like, it's not going to be there past the trade deadline anyway. So, you know, why would I trade anything of value? Unless it's, I just want to beat everybody the market and I can. And so here's a second to do it. I just think teams will wait and they'll wait and just get them on the buyout market. And that should be the way Detroit plays it too. And, and even if you get nothing back in salary from him this year, that's fine. It doesn't matter. It's not like, you know, it's not, not like, I mean, I think there's still like 600,000 under the cap anyway. So it's not like you're like trying to avoid the tax or anything like that. So, you know, just, just set them free if you can't trade them and then move on. One uh, just general NBA trade deadline question here, Keith. Nope, I'm asking you two. Sorry, I always do this to you. I ask two questions at the same <laughs> time. Is it going to be an exciting trade deadline? Like, what can we expect as NBA fans? And then two, give us the team that you think ends up becoming the surprise seller. Is it, you know, someone like Utah, Chicago, Toronto, Atlanta, somebody else? So excitement, you know, how busy is it in general? And then who's the team that... I think is on our radars, but truly ends up, you know, kind of blowing things up over the next couple of weeks. I'm ever an optimist with this stuff. So I do think we will see some fun stuff. I think what we're going to see though, is instead of, I know we all remember it was a few years back when Woj tweeted at like 301, good Lord. Like that was all he tweeted because it was like a, like 20 deals in the last like hour of the day. And it was like, holy crap, what happened? And like we were still finding out about trade details at like seven that night because it was like the queue was so long. Um, I don't think we're going to get that. I do think we're going to what we're going to get is like, whoa, like where did this come from? And because of that, I think it's going to be from a surprise team. It's probably not a surprise because I mentioned them. We've all been talking around it. That law, hey, but we're recording this on Sunday morning. The loss Toronto had to Boston last night. Jason Tatum didn't play. Marcus Martin and Rob Williams both left at halftime with injuries. Derek White couldn't finish the game. Celtics closed the game with Peyton Pritchard on the floor because they, they had to. And they beat them in Toronto. Like that, that had to be for me, the Masai Ujiri. I'm done. This team's not going anywhere. It's time. It is time to, to, you know, start something. And whether it starts today or it's we're laying the groundwork today for big trades in the summertime, which isn't quite as fun, but for, for the immediacy that, that, that Raptors team's going to look drastically different going into next season. And I think there may be a let's go now on that. I also think Utah is going to do stuff. Utah might do moves, though, that are more, hey, we're going to trade veteran for interesting, decent young player, kind of keeps us in the playoff race for the rest of the year, and off we go. Kind of similar to what that, that Kings Pacers trade was a year ago, where it was, hey, we're just trying to trade for better fits. And I thought it was super unfair that the Kings got killed the way they did. I love Tyrese Halliburton too, but people started acting like Demonis Sabonis was like you know random throw-in big man that stinks, and like this guy was a two-time All Star and is really good. Um, so I think we could see a trade like that with Utah, where it's like, hey, we traded Mike Conley, but we're also not completely giving up on the season either. But we're resetting a little bit to you know rebalance our roster. I th- think those are the two teams I've kind of got my eye on, and because of that, I think it is going to be interesting. But unfortunately, I think it's going to be interesting until we're like in trade deadline week. I just think the lack of sellers and the fact that the sellers are saying, 
we want multiple picks. We want all this. I think that just has us in a position where it is like, all right, there just isn't a lot that can be done right now that you know team, teams are ready to move. So I, I, I think as weird as it sounds, I think this next week is going to be really, really big for teams to set where they're at and really decide, all right, is it worth still trying to pursue this? And how many of those teams are going to be like, well, what are we pursuing? A playing spot? Like, why? Like, let, let, let's start moving on that. So it's that that's where I think we'll get the interest from. Amari, any general NBA questions before we let Keith go? Uh, no, honestly, I think we uh, touched on a lot. Uh, I just wanted to to circle back a little bit. I just appreciated the Sadiq Bay. How you expose on Sadiq Bay? Because that's been another point of contention, and we actually talked about it sort of like last week. But uh, bottom line is, you know, I think this is probably shaping up to be a quarter deadline for the Pistons. There could always be surprises, but it seems like the main takeaway is that there is a lot of reason for them to go into next offseason to just put a nice bow on the pot. Uh, a lot of reason for them to uh, maybe sit this one a little bit quieter. You know how it goes. It's you either love a player or you hate him, right? And it's like, I don't, I don't feel either way about him. Like, I like him. I think he's a pretty good player, you know, but I'm kind of, all right, let's just be friends. Like, I, you know, we don't need to be in a long-term relationship. It's, it's okay <laughs> if we check in on each other once in a while. That's kind of where I'm at with him. I wish him well, but, you know, that's where, where I am. Okay, uh, we got to ask because when we bring guests on, this is kind of the thing of the Pistons Pulse. We talk food over here, Keith, and one of the main ones is chips on sandwiches. I'm a hard pass and no. Omari seems to find that there's credibility in any combination of foods. Where do you lie with chips on sandwiches? I like my crunch to come from the bread. Like, uh, okay. Okay. give me like a crusty bread, like, like a, you know, I, I, you, you were just in Paris, so I'm not trying to make a cheap joke, but like, give me like a nice baguette that's a little, little, get a little crunch to, to, to the crust of it. Like, uh, I'll take that. I don't, I don't necessarily like to throw, throw chips in the mix, but. I occasionally will, but I can only do it if it's like plain, like potato chips. Like I can't, like I don't want to throw like sour cream and onion chips into like a you know ham sandwich. Like that just, I, I, I'm a little weird. I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm a grown man who still doesn't like my foods to really touch on my plate. Like, no, I'm we are weirdo, so. no, no, yeah. not a weird. <laughs> I don't find that weird at all, Keith. Like I, my food is separated. I eat it one thing at a time. So me and you are, are right there. With I joke. That. I need the kid plate where yes. it's like. Divided into sections, and I can put like like stuff in there. Some stuff's okay, like you know, like, like you know, well, we're having turkey and like mashed potatoes. Like I don't mind that those two touch, but like yeah, I don't I don't want gravy dripping onto my carrots and stuff. Like no, no, none of that. That's you know, let's keep all that separate and you know different. So, but then it, it weirdly, I'm the kind of guy who going back. I like bread, which is pr- probably I'm way what I do. I like, like the carbs too much, but man, I'll, I'll take a piece of bread and sop up whatever's left on the plate and, and eat that. Like that's the, that's the best part of the meal sometimes. Absolutely. All right, Keith, thank you so much for joining us, taking some time out of your day. I know you're doing pods all the time. Again, <laughs> you are... You're my favorite guest. I won't speak for Amari. I love when you join us. I hope we can get you back here, um, you know, before the off season to break down everything that's happened and, and give a preview to that. Uh, let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter, the podcast, all of that. Um, and thank you again for joining us. 
Yeah, you find me on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA. It's pretty easy. K E I T H S M I T H N B A. Uh, be forewarned, I tweet a lot, um, especially during Boston games. Um, but that's you know part of the gig for me. Um, and then you can find my written work at Spot Track. If you're interested in Celtics specific coverage, Celtics blog is part of SB Nation. Yes, we are still around on SB Nation, unlike you know so many, unfortunately, so many of our brethren over there. And then uh, if Bryce has mentioned it a couple times, my buddy Trevor Lane and I do the NBA for an office show uh, somewhere between three and five times a week. Kind of depends on our schedules and what's out there for news. We talk all the latest news and notes around the week. We will be doing a live trade deadline show on that show. We'll go we'll go live probably around 1.30 or 2 um, and take you right through the deadline a little bit after uh, reacting everything in real time and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully losing our minds over a couple, you know, massive trades uh, that are, you know, deal went, went absolutely bonkers but yeah you can find all that work there uh, nba front off show youtube podcast where, wherever you deal want to want to consume it guys i highly recommend the nba front office show again i listen to it they talk about all the nba teams you know detroit every once in a while i know it's not the funnest team to talk about but you guys definitely need to listen to that for salary cap nba stuff at large omari take it away my guy yeah, Keith, always a pleasure having you on. Uh, lots of great conversations today. And I mean, again, few people are, know the cap and uh, just a conversation around the NBA as well as you do. So always a pleasure to have you on. And I do hope we can do it again going into the offseason when uh, the Pistons should have top lottery odds and a lot to cut, uh, go for them. So again, big thanks to you, Keith. And I'll go ahead and close this out. Um, thanks to our editor, Robin Chet, Sir Anthony Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirk McCrawford. Also, shout out to West Davenport. We'll talk to you all next week.